0: Tonight, I'm making room in my heart for the Word of God. Tonight, I place more value on what God says than what I think. And tonight, I confess that it's not all about me, but it's all about Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for this opportunity to hear your word. We're trusting that you're speaking through your word tonight. We're trusting that the power of the Holy Spirit's here tonight to implant the word in tender hearts tonight. And we're excited that we have the opportunity to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and by the power of your word. So tonight, we invite you to change us. We've already said it tonight fire fall down on us. We're open to you. We're expectant tonight. We come hungry and thirsty. And we know that what you have for us tonight is good. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. My son, Miles, shared a great joke with me the other day. If, you're, if we're friends on Facebook, you've probably heard it. How many of you heard it already? You know where I'm going? Some of you, yes. He said, uh, he said, okay, so the guy says to the psychiatrist, Doc, I, I feel like I'm a set of curtains. And the, and the psychiatrist says, pull yourself together, man. Was, it's just, he was a sixth grader. It was pretty good. I, we, we had a good laugh about it. Well, seriously, though, tonight, we go through things, don't we? Sometimes you got to pull yourself together. I, um, I'm here tonight, and just like you are, you know, mindful that we live in a world where things do not always go right. We live in a world where we're afflicted. We live in a world where people are broken and people are hurting And the reason that there's a good news gospel also assumes that it's because there's darkness in the world that the good news, the gospel would be good news. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. It just seems like we're in a season where we're just pressed. Do you feel that? I mean, it's like there's always been things, you know, there's always been opportunities in the world. Jesus said, you'll always have trials and challenges, but rejoice because I've overcome the world. So we live with that promise. But I just, as I look in my life and as I look in the lives of people who I love, there are so many issues. There's, there's people who are sick And broken and financially struggling and unemployed. And there's so many things that sometimes I just find myself for a moment kind of just getting overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that way? I just think, I, I don't even know if I have enough hours in the day to pray for all the situations that I'm aware of. And so tonight I wanna, I have a message for you if you're going through affliction. And if you're not going through affliction tonight, it's probably because you're on the sidelines not accomplishing anything. So if we're all in this together, we're likely all going through various trials, challenges, and affliction. And I believe that the word of God always encourages. I'm trusting that as I speak the word of God, that God's power is released to bring great encouragement. And if you're in a season of struggle, if you're in a season of affliction, I want you to rejoice tonight because God is an overcoming God and he's alive and powerful on the inside of us. And he's able to turn any situation that you're facing tonight around, no matter how desperate it seems, no matter if nobody else can get in an agreement with you about it. The reality is, is that God has the ability to, to break through in your life. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians four seventeen, just to kind of set the tone here, he said this, he said, for our light affliction, which is for but a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, some of the affliction that I'm seeing in people's lives that I love are near death, you know, are are poverty, brokenness, despair, betrayal, hurt, insecurities. I see all the kinds of things. I deal with some of these things myself too. And Paul says, but this is a light affliction. How many of you know, real talk, it doesn't always feel light, does it? He doesn't say it's light affliction because it's not important. He doesn't say it because you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel pressed by it. But what he's saying is he is the author and finisher of our faith. And as he looks at all of eternity, how many of you know, we just look at the slice that we're in, right? The slice, we tend to, you know, it's like that, that phrase, losing the forest for the trees or the trees for the forest. Sometimes our perspective can be so narrow, but God, who is the God of the ages, sees our beginning. He sees our end. He sees all of eternity. And when he sees the struggles that we go through, although they're important to us, And although we greatly need his wisdom to go through them, he's saying this is a light affliction but for a moment because he sees the scores of eternity, and he realizes that it's temporary. What you and I face today, as big as it seems, as big and overwhelming as the mountain is, he knows that it's just temporary. Say it. My situation is temporary. God is working behind the scenes in my life. We were created in in his image. And I take great comfort in knowing that God, that I'm not created in God's image because he has brown hair and brown eyes, although I think that would be a, a good move on his part. But, uh, but the fact that he has put on the inside of me and you his DNA, he has put something on the inside of us that longs for him. He has put a piece of eternity on the inside of us that says, even though this body is going to perish, there's something on the inside of us, a spirit man that he has created to be in contact with him. And that, and that longing that we have is the reason why some of us find great joy when we get saved because we connect that longing with, with the power of God and why some of us spend our entire life chasing after material things to replace a void that only God can fill. And, and so tonight, if you feel that longing, maybe you don't know Jesus and you're in this house tonight, but you know that you hope there's more than what you see with your five senses and experience. You hope that there's more than the things that you face today. I want to encourage you tonight that God has placed a part of himself on the inside of you that longs for him, that wants to have connection with him. We, we use this phrase in our church that, you know, and it's in the Bible, that to become saved, right, and to become born again are two of the more dominant ways that we refer to the experience of allowing Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, of saying, God, I realize that you have given me a free gift of grace, to remove me from underneath the penalty of sin and death. It's a grace that promises that I'll spend eternity with you, but it's also grace that promises that I can literally experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so we talk about this process of being saved. And maybe, you, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you've heard people say saved or born again in a joke because it doesn't make sense. In fact, I remember a day way back in, as a child when someone said, are you saved I, from what? You know, what, what's, is this a joke? What do you, what's, where's the punchline, you know? And, uh, but this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. God is rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. So part of becoming saved and born again is coming alive. Say, I am alive in Christ. So he has made us alive together with, with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. That's why we say, I've been saved. It's the grace of God. And he has raised us up together, and he has made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves. That's good news, right? And it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Remember I said God put something on the inside of you? He has created this beforehand. He has put it on the inside of you that we would desire to walk in him. He said that we are his workmanship. And do you remember in that verse in Second Corinthians a minute ago, it said that our light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God is doing something in the midst of your afflictions. I didn't say he caused your afflictions, but he's doing something in the process of your afflictions that's going to actually work for your good, and it's going to bring to you an exceeding and eternal weight of glory because we are his workmanship. That means we are, we are a case that he wants to work on. Turn to your neighbor say, I say, I always knew I was a case. We're his workmanship. He wants to work on the inside of us. And we use that phrase, born again. What does born again mean? Well, Jesus said it in John 3, 3. He said that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you don't know what that phrase means, you probably have the same response that the guy he said it to. says, well, wait a minute. I've already been born once. How can I be born again? But he's saying that you need to be born into a spiritual kingdom. You need to come back. You need to reconnect to the thing that you were created to be connected to, to be born again. And... And sometimes these two terms, saved and born again, saved sometimes can give us this false illusion like we've arrived. Well, I got saved. I can check that off my list, right? Now what what do you have for me, God? But I like the word born again because it, it tells me that it's a new beginning. Say, if you've been saved, you're just beginning. You haven't arrived. You have begun a process. And many of the times, I know in my life when I get the most frustrated, it's because I just want a neat and tidy project that I can end. And I can cross it off the list and move on. But how many of you know we are in process? And if you don't like where you're at tonight, don't worry because God's going to change it and you're going to be in a different place tomorrow night. If you don't like tomorrow night, hold on because he's working and he's working for your good and he's going to take you somewhere else. The light afflictions that we go through are temporary. And again, I just want to encourage you tonight, if you're going through stuff, I want you to know God is here in this place, and he cares about your situation even more than you do. And he's here tonight, and I may not understand it, and the people around you may not understand it, but he understands, and he wants to lead you through, and he wants to give you the victory. So working for us does not mean that we just sit down and wait for God to do everything. Working for us means that we have to make room. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about making room. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, 24. I'm reading in the NLT version. Wait a minute, Sandy, switch me to the uh, BLT version. Hey, how about that, huh? Okay, back to the NLT version. Anybody hungry? This is what, it, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. 24 and 25, it says, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, this is the good news. If you're ready for some good news, this is it. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness, now let's play on words here. We know he's not weak. But even God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God is so great. And what what he has available to us through Jesus will absolutely knock our socks off. It will absolutely revolutionize the way that we live life. And in more simpler terms, you may remember this from a kid. It went like this. Little ones to him belong. They are, but he is strong. Don't forget that tonight. We may find ourselves in weakness, but he is strong. And, he's, and he loves you, and he's for you. And uh, so tonight we're talking about making room. And, and I'm really excited because I know that God is always faithful to come where he's invited. And we sang songs tonight that invited his presence. And when you make a place for him, he comes, and he reveals himself, and he makes a difference. And that's the God that we serve. And so in this scripture, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is saying that Christ, the very Christ that has come alive on the inside of us, the very Christ who has given us that free gift of grace— Cause us to be born again is the same Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Think about it. Power and wisdom are two things that are available to us through Jesus. If you think about power as force, and if you think about wisdom as direction, every tool known to man in order to be efficient has to have force and direction. You can't just have force or you'll have no control, and you can't just have direction because you must have force to drive the thing. And so when I think about that, I think about the fact that Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. That means at my disposal as a believer, he has given me the the brute force and power to do the things he's called us to do, and he's given me the direction to know how to do it. Say power, power, wisdom, wisdom, force, force, direction. So the question is, how do we make room for him to be that in our lives? Why don't you turn to John 3? This is kind of our key scripture tonight. John 3, verse 30 and 31. I've been chewing on this since I filled out my what am I believing God for in 2013 list. I don't know about you. This is one of the scriptures that came to my mind when Pastor John said, I believe that this is a year of opportunity. I say, yes, I believe it is too. But you know what? Every single year that we've been alive has been a year of opportunity. So what is the difference this year? What, what can be different in our lives this year? And I believe it's, the key is in John three thirty that he must increase, but I must. He must, but I must. It says that he who comes from above is above all, but he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. Now, God, again, remember we said earlier, God's perspective on our life is tremendous. He was there before us. He's there after our life on this earth. He's already seen the span of time. And so when he tells us that what you're going through, although it's painful, and what you're going through, although it's pushing you to the very limits of what you know to do, I'm telling you what, in the scores of history, it is a light of fiction, and it's it's temporary. And that's what he promises us because he is not of the earth. He is above all and he sees all, but we are of the earth. And so if we're not connected to him, then our best wisdom and power is only the limit of what is earth. And so that's why many times we can get, we can freak ourselves out in situations because a bill comes and we don't know how to pay it. So all we can think about is, well, I've just got to work and I need 10 extra hours in this day. Well, I just need to, to rob Peter and pay Paul and all that stuff. But that, 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 that's earth, right? But the God who is above all says, I just need you to plant a seed. I just need you to obey that last thing you told me to do, and I can release the provision that you need. Don't even think about the earthly terms of that. Just think about following me. Think about making room for me to work in your life. So he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, God very clearly gave me this, uh, I don't know where I'd seen it before, somewhere just like you, this idea of sand casting. If you're familiar with foundries, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When you make a metal object of some kind of, you know, cast iron or bronze or aluminum, many times, most of the time, in fact, in a foundry, the way that they create that object that you want to make that's solid is through the process of sand casting. Go ahead and roll that video, Sandy, and I'll show you a little bit about what this looks like. Okay, so... You start with the process. You say, hey, I want to make this thing, right? So this is a little car. So this guy creates, he takes what's called a flask, and he puts it down, and he, and he takes the model of this thing, and he places it. You can't see it, but the car is already in there. And they go ahead, and they, and they compress sand around it. So what the sand does is the sand fills the entire flask with the exception of the thing that's in there, okay? And so now what they're going to do is they're going to make a pattern out of that thing. They're going to split that mold in half, And then they're going to fill each half of the mold with sand. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have in one flask, you're going to have half of the object you want to make. And in the other flask, you're going to have the other half. And what happens is they put them together. They remove the the pattern, right? And so what you're left with is this, this space now. You're making room, right? So you're left with this space. And that's the imprint of the car, and because of the pressure of the sand, it's made a perfect mold of that thing that you're believing for. So they put that flask back together. And they, in this case, I believe it's aluminum. They, they melt this to molten levels, and they pour that into that thing, and they give it time to cool. They take it apart, and behold, in the center of this thing, as they break away the mold, is that thing that they've been trying to make. And the thing that I want you to really notice is this process of breaking the mold, What happens is the space that's been made available to fill has been filled. Everything else that is not of value has been removed, and what's left is the thing that's precious. And I think there's some application for us tonight when we say he must increase and I must decrease. Paul said that we are hard-pressed, and I'm going to come back to this analogy in a second, but Paul said that we're hard-pressed. Do you know you're hard-pressed? Have you felt it even today? So it says we're hard-pressed in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10, this is what he says. We have this treasure. He's talking about the promise that we have in God, right? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's a temporary thing, our earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side. Think about that mold as they tamp down that sand. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed. Ever been perplexed about something? We're perplexed, but we don't have to be in despair. That's the good news. We're persecuted, no doubt, but we're not forsaken because God never leaves us and he never forsakes us. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We get back up, right? And it says, always caring about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know, just like that cast, that casting, when, when the process is done, When the mold has been filled, the casting is no longer important. What's inside is important. And so as that casting is beaten, and sometimes that's what it feels like, when it's pressed, when it's beaten, when it's broken, it's also an opportunity to see the precious thing that is on the inside. And I don't know about you, but in some of my hardest days have been the times where I really found out whether or not God was really alive on the inside of me or not. And so that's what he wants to do in our lives. Say, he must increase, but I must decrease. So it stands to reason that the more room that we make for him, the more area he's allowed to fill in our lives, and the more that's revealed when we're broken, when we're pressed, when we struggle, and when we come to our weakness. You know, in the garden, Jesus set such a powerful example for us. How many of you know the Garden of Gethsemane? I almost said it right. I I practiced it about 20 times today. Gethsemane. (laughs) Still not sure if I got it right. I'll check the recording. It literally means oil press. How, how interesting that God sent Jesus to a place where he was literally being emotionally pressed more than probably any of us have ever been pressed in our lives. And, and this is what I love. The word doesn't spare us the details. It doesn't spare us the brutal reality of what he was going through. Because it says in Luke, and there's two passages I'll cover this, but it says in Luke 22 and 41, this is what it says. Jesus knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, please take this cup away from me. That gives you right there an indication of what he was facing. The fact that he was just asking if there were another way shows you the brutality of what he was up against, what he knew was coming. But he says, nevertheless, say nevertheless. (laughs) Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So as he makes room for the father, the father comes and strengthens him. And it says in Luke's version, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling To the ground. I've been through a lot of pressure before, but I've never been through that much pressure. And and so in Mark fourteen, in Mark's account in thirty three or thirty four, it even says that he took Peter, James, and John with him. Kind of shows the human side of him, the fact that he wanted to be with people, and he was vulnerable, and he was hurting, and he was distressed. And it even says he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. I mean, that's I've never really focused on that before, but it shows you the reality. It shows you that he understands what we go through because he's gone through far much worse. And he said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. We see a very vulnerable human Jesus who is suffering and struggling. and But we know that what he went on to do was to allow God to be bigger. He allowed the process, the refining process, and what he did literally changed everything that we know about everything for eternity in the act of one person who was willing to make room and, and 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 to believe that God was big enough to sustain and bring him through. that's the God that we serve. Paul said this in second Corinthians twelve nine to ten. He was talking about a thorn in the flesh and says that it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him is what it says. I have this thorn in the flesh, comma, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And I think what he was saying was, listen, God, and maybe you've had this conversation with God before. Listen, I've given it all up. Like that song, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I surrender all. Why do bad things keep happening? I mean, I, I'm totally sold out. I didn't even get married. I mean, I am like, I am going for it. And everywhere I go, stuff happens. Everywhere I go, I'm misunderstood. Everywhere I go, I'm tortured. Everywhere I'm going, I'm shipwrecked. I'm beaten. I'm ridiculed. I'm betrayed. All these things. And he's saying with, I just, this one thing I just can't figure out my life is that I've got so much willingness and so much desire and so much zeal to follow God and be a part of everything that he wants to be a part of on this earth. And yet everywhere I go, I run into a wall. Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever said something like, it just seems like I take one step forward and what? Two steps back, you know? And he sensed that too. And this was what God's response to him was. He said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. What he wasn't saying was, Paul, I just love it when you suffer. And I just and I just want to keep you humble. And so I'm just gonna continue to just put bad things in your process, just so you'll be humble. You know, I've heard people literally say that before, but he's what he's saying is, Paul, welcome to the game. Paul, welcome to the war, welcome to the fight. This is the reality of your existence on the earth. Every single day that you pursue the kingdom of God, there will be resistance. There will be the enemy trying to stop you, trying to hold you back. And the sense that you feel resistance is not a reason to quit, but it's a reason to keep going because you know you're on the right pursuit. And tonight... If you're in affliction, listen, maybe you're in affliction tonight because you messed up and you disobeyed God and you're dealing with the consequences. Maybe you're in affliction tonight because you said, I'm going for it, and then like one step forward, it seems like two steps back. The good news is no matter how you found your way into affliction, he will bring you through, and what he will do is he will work the affliction for you in your life, bringing you an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Like that cast, he wants to reveal himself. And what, what he said to Paul was in the scripture, he said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What he's saying is when your cast is broken and when it seems like there's nothing left and everything that you've been working on has fallen apart, I'm revealing myself on the inside of you. And what's on the inside of you is much more greater. Like, like it says, he that's in me is greater that he that's in the world. He wants to reveal himself to this world, and he'll do it through our victories, and he'll do it through our defeats. And it's an awesome privilege to be a part of what he's doing. Therefore, Paul says, Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now it just starts to get crazy talk, right? He, he literally says, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, because when I am weak, he is made strong in me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And again, you remember the things he went through. He went through afflictions that you and I, I don't think any of us have gone through the score of afflictions that that man has gone through. But he, but he was doing, he was enabling the same principle, which is he must, he must, increase. I must, increase. that's right. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, the, question, the reasonable question is how do we make room for him? I feel like there's a couple of examples for us in the word that help us, that give us some really concrete things to do to make room for God. And the first was in the relationship of David and Saul. And if you remember, David had great plans. God had great plans for David. He was anointing as king, but that was not, it was like getting saved. It wasn't just the end of the deal. It was only the beginning. And he had to fight and he had to believe and he had to press in to accomplish the things that God had promised. David spends the first 15 verses of Psalm 59 talking about how tragic his life is, talking about the reality that Saul and his men were pursuing him like vicious dogs growling, he talks about them coming after him with swords. They're trying to end my life. I don't know about you. I haven't had that bad of a day. But, but, but he said that, that literally, he, and he felt the pressure of it. He felt the pressing of, of what was happening to him. But in verse 16 and 17, he gives us our first secret, how to make room for God. And he says this, I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you've been my defense and the refuge in the day of my trouble. And to you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. And I think if David were here tonight, he would tell you the first way to make room for God is to press through the anguish of fear and betrayal and press in and worship. He would say worship. Tonight, if you're brokenhearted, if you've been betrayed, if if you're hurting, if you don't have enough, if you're sick in your bodies, tonight, press through all of that like the woman with the issue of blood. Reach onto the hem of his garment and just worship him acknowledge him that he is he's the savior he's the healer he's the god who loves us he's the he's the god who can make a way for us where there seems to be no way and begin to worship him and you might not love the situation you're in and it might be hard to muster up praise because of what you're going through but you can look back and you say you know what you've sustained me you brought me to today there are many other times i thought for sure it was over but you came through and you rescued me and you begin to rehearse those times and you begin to remind yourself of his goodness and you begin to worship himself and as you worship him You begin to take the focus off you. I was talking to a person on the phone uh, a little while ago, and, and they are dealing with just really extreme anxiety. I don't know if any of you have ever dealt with those kind of issues before, I mean, I just thought they were just freaked out about some things they were going through. But as I began to listen to them talk, it, was, it was just became more and more obsessive. It was like imagining every possible thing that could go wrong. And I, and I began, you know, in my immaturity, I began to kind of take each thing. Well, no, that's not true. No, no, don't believe it. And finally I realized, whoa, whoa, this is not even about these individual issues. This is about one thing. You are too focused on yourself. And that's what I told them. And it just broke, it broke all that. And I said, stop thinking yourself so much. And that's what it is. It's selfishness. And so the cure to selfishness is worship. You press through the anguish, you press through the betrayal, you press through the pain and you say, God, there is only one person in this room worthy of my attention and focus. And it's you. And I'm going to give it to you right now. And you might need to do it In your car driving down the road, you might need to get away from your kids and lock yourself in the closet or the bathroom and just get before Him and just say, God, I I just repent for thinking about myself, for for regarding my life more than I should. I am surrendered to you. My eyes are on you, and I am ready for your wisdom and power, like it said, that we have available to us through Jesus. So press through the anguish of fear and betrayal and just worship him. That's the first thing we do. David, again, man, he's such a treasure. I mean, he's such an encyclopedia of following after God through thick and thin. You remember the story of Ziklag? We talk about it many times in this church. It's a story that you can read about in 1 Samuel 30. And I'll just paraphrase for time's sake, but David and his men came back from battle, and they come to their town, and they found that the whole town has been burned. They find that the women and children have been taken captive. Can you even begin to imagine the heartache? And again, just like in Jesus in the garden, the, the, the author spares no expense in letting you know how real and tangible the hurt was. It says that they lifted their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. I mean, this is how serious the affliction, the anguish that they were feeling. David distressed over the situation. And not only was he distressed over the situation, but now he was distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because they were looking for someone to blame it on. And if they wouldn't have been out serving him, they would have been home to defend the families. Can you imagine the very real offense that could rise up in a situation like that? So David was in agony, as as you and I would. But then, verse 6, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He worshiped God. He remembered what God had done. He remembered the calling on his life. And he had to believe, God, what you've called me to has not been fulfilled yet, so surely this won't be the end of me. And then in verse 8, David inquired of the Lord. And again, if David were here tonight and you asked him, David, how do I make room for what God's doing on the inside of my life? I think David would say, press through your affliction and ask God for a plan. Tonight, if you're in affliction, tonight, if you're in poverty, tonight, if you're in sickness, tonight, if you're in a relationship that's going nowhere, tonight, if you've been betrayed by people who you love, tonight, you can press through that affliction and you can ask God for a plan. We want to change things. We want to change people. But God's ready for us to ask for a plan. And his plan always works. His plan's always anointed. His plan's always blessed. And so I think David would say tonight, In the middle of your reflection tonight, if you want to make room for God to to work this through and causing you to have an exceeding and eternal weight of glory in your life and to be revealed in your situation, ask God for a plan. And then Paul, to the Corinthian church, he had spent time with them and then he was away from them and he wrote them a letter to encourage them and the things that they had discovered with him. And he says in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. So he's saying right off the bat, the reason that you were transformed, the reason that you were set free, the reason why you got the victory, was don't think for a second it's because I'm just really smart. Don't think for a second it's because I'm really charismatic. Don't think for a second it's because I've got all this figured out. But what he said was, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's basically saying, I can't boast about anything except the fact that I know Christ and his crucifixion. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you with much trembling. He's being honest. He was with them in affliction. He also was fearing for his life. He also was feeling the pressure of great affliction. He said, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think if Paul were here tonight, he would say, Press through your weakness and you're trembling, and obey God. Obey what he's already showed you to do. I bet you most of you tonight already know what he's saying. You know something. If you had to pick something to obey him in, I bet you all of us would be able to pick something. We might not have the, the, the instruction that we think is going to let loose the thing that we're believing for. We may not have heard that instruction yet, but what we don't realize is the most important instruction God's given you is the last one, Unfulfilled. That's the most important instruction. So if Paul was here tonight, he would say, listen, just like I had to do, press through the pain, press through the fear and trembling, press through the fear of what people might think of you, press through the fear of what if I don't have enough, press through the pain and the heartache of betrayal, and obey God. And what happens is, this is the promise in the context of all these verses we've read. The promise is here for us tonight. When you obey God, you're not just doing a task like you might for your boss. You're not just checking off a list. What you're doing is you're making room for God to reveal his power and his wisdom in your life. You're creating a space for him to come and fill you with something that is eternal, and lasting forever so that even when it feels like your outer frame is perishing and you're being beaten and broken and it just seems like there's no hope. But what happens is you realize there's a process going on right now. And what's happening is everything that I was depending on in my human strength is being taken away. But what, I, what I'm finding is I'm still standing and I'm, my shoulders are back, my head's up, and what is on side of me is greater than he that is in the world. And so Paul would say, Press through every weakness, press through your trembling, and obey God. He must increase, but I must decrease. Say it. He must, increase. but I must. I just encourage you to tell yourself that every single day. There's something new about, about waking up every morning and just saying, God, today, just let me decrease. Just let me just increase. Fill. show me how I can make the mold bigger. Show me how I can cr- carve out more of the sand. Show me how I can get a bigger vision. Show me how I can be more out on the line believing you for everything that I need so that you can come and fill me. And so then when the pressure comes and the breaking process comes and the affliction comes, and as I'm shaken to my core, what's revealed is the exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He must increase and I must decrease. And so I want to encourage you tonight in your situations that maybe you have. You've come to the limits of your strength and your own wisdom. In fact, I hope you have. I hope I've come to the end of my strength and wisdom. I don't want to waste any more time. I want God to be glorified. I want him to be revealed in my situations, and I want to be a part of what he's doing on this earth. But the good news is that what's available to us when we make room for him is his supernatural wisdom, his supernatural power, and his supernatural purpose. That's what's at stake. So tonight, I want to pray for you. Why don't you stand up on your feet? And uh, we're going to pray tonight that in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of the pressure, in the midst of the heartache, that tonight, God is filling us. And that as we make room for him, that what he's doing on the inside of us is something that's going to last forever. It's not going to change with culture. It's not going to change with the people in our life. It's something that will stand the test of time. And so, Father, with our hearts open tonight, and with your word planted firmly in our heart, we ask you to encourage us tonight. I, I pray for that person tonight who's going through extreme pressure who feels the pressure of, of trying to do it in, the, in their own strength versus allowing you to be big on the inside of their life. I pray for the person who is up against a wall and it seems like this is a, the unique situation that just might not be fixed. I pray for the person that doesn't know you, that maybe has only known you as, as someone in a textbook, but I pray tonight that we would have an encounter with you, the living God. I pray that we would be inspired tonight to believe that he that is greater in us is greater than he that is in the world. And so tonight, if you're up against a wall, if you're going through incredible affliction tonight, if you're going through pressure, if you've been disappointed about things not going the way that you thought God said they were going to go, I want to encourage you tonight with the full counsel of the word of God that your affliction is light and it's but for a moment. That God says he's faithful to turn everything around for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, Lord, we confess tonight that we love you. We confess tonight that we're called according to your purpose. And we confess tonight that we will make room for you to be great on the inside of our lives. Now I want to pray tonight for anybody that might not know Jesus while you're still here.
1: We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus, and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at VictoryLafayette.org.